0: Your next game is going to be eternally gratifying, and here's why. In this episode, we're going to find some answers to how do you make a cleric, warlock, or other vaguely religious figure with some real meat? And what religious details do you add to your role-playing, and which are just fluff? And what interesting religious offshoots from real life can inspire us? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So we've made some real duds... Of characters (laughs) when it comes to... Cards on the table. (laughs) Having a connection with some kind of a higher power in games. Yeah, this one has been challenging for me in the past. Just because when you're trying to roll up a cleric or something like that, I mean, you typically rely on tropes. And I think there's a really fine line to walk between like, tropey and relatable because... You know, like we've talked about in the past on this podcast, tropes aren't necessarily bad. Tropes are a really great way to start from a jumping off point that people are familiar with. But then you have to do something a little bit different with it. So there's that fine line between tropey and original and unique and interesting, trying to expose that very fine sliver of... Of wiggle room like where you really want to land that could be really challenging yeah because i'm pretty sure i've done things like in my cleric's biggest moment where they need to pull upon their deeper powers and they get on their knees and put their hands together well okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's wouldn't. not uh, that's not a fantasy D <laughs> thing to do yeah because when you're not pre-planning this kind of stuff then In the moment, you go, oh, this would be really good. Uh, What am I going to do? Oh, uh, well, I'll just pull upon this real life kind of thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of hackneyed and old and eh. Or at the very worst, it's vaguely offensive. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. So putting a lot of planning into your characters is going to pay off in the long run, no matter what, because... If you're going to attempt to play some kind of religious character, there's a lot of extra stuff that goes into that character planning that is just going to make that character so much more meaty. And keep in mind, don't be intimidated because we try our best not to go too deep into character planning because it's such a massive hole to fall into. So we want to talk about the essentials that you need to roleplay a religious character really well. Yeah, those key details, because ultimately what we all want, and I'm sure what you want, is you want to make a character that inspires awe at the table, that other players at the table just go, wow, that was so good and cool and brilliant. And they start to get curious when you let those little things slip out that you've planned and the details of your religion. And they're saying, wow, this is much more interesting than I thought it would be. And that only happens when some kind of religion has been deeply internalized and thought through. And so not doing this raises a multitude of issues. We definitely don't like spending days reading lore about fantasy religions (laughs) because no other player at the table will have done the same thing. Whoever has is excluding everybody else. They're, you're basically demanding that you spend 30 hours learning the lore of this land <laughs> or you'll have no idea what's going on. I have rolled up to tables that DMs have demanded that I read this like world background. And that's kind of cool for like light reading, but there's there's a line. <laughs> Here's a little bit of background on the world that you might be playing in. And here's a 34-page document <laughs> that you must not only read, but build your character off of and internalize and be able to bring it up at a moment's notice. Yeah. I, I want instant recall because you should have known about the War of 1318 in my fantasy world Yeah, when I reference it in the game. And that, that's really challenging. We want you to be method acting. Never <laughs> break character, even when you're not playing D&D anymore. Then on the flip side of that, if you see as much work as, you know, reading a 34-page document as a bit of a waste of time and instead just want to roleplay a smattering of real world religions, at the very least uh, with like a slight twist, that's fine, but it's very likely going to come across as kind of hollow and not rich enough to really get into or to inspire that awe or follow up questions from other players. And then, of course, you can do like I like to do and make up your own on the spot. (laughs) But that often doesn't have any depth whatsoever to it. And it's just a bunch of weird ideas. Well, you're putting a lot of faith in your ability to come up with great (laughs) ideas on the spot. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to go in with a little bit of prep. Yeah, that kind of leads us to our final. And the whole point of this episode is really building your own. And it doesn't have to be an overwhelming exercise. We have some really simple steps, and you can use those to inform your character, their decisions, their behaviors, their mannerisms, a lot of different little details that you can actually pepper into role-playing rather than saying, I've done a lot of thinking. Here's a 34-page document. Hey, I haven't done any thinking. Uh, Let's see what I come up with on the spot. It's really well-thought-out, role-playing-focused details that can come out in the game naturally. And when you do it this way, you can flex those creative muscles based on this, not based on whatever real religion you're most familiar with. Yeah. So obviously, today we're talking about creating religious characters that feel fantastic yet grounded. And if you create your character while you're creating their religion and their deity, you have an opportunity to direct that character creation with all of the similarities and contrast from the religion. And it ends up being so much more meaningful than random character meet random religion that you know nothing about until this moment. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's hop into Kinship Camp and do some character building. This is Kinship Camp, where Rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. In our last episode, create gods and religions with ease, we covered the steps of creating your deity and your religion. Just as a quick recap for that before we get into this episode, you've got your deity, which you create like a super quick and simple backstory for it. Just hit some main beats. You've got traits, which we usually suggest two positive, one neutral, two negative, creates a fleshed out character. And this basically makes your deity kind of an NPC with their own goals, which is the next step is what does that deity kind of want in the world? What do they care about? Do they want to burn the world in fire? or Do they just kind of want to be left alone? What's that deity's actual personal goal? Then the religion, which has values, This takes from our culture builder, and the values really dictate what values does the religion hold in its highest regard, and which values is it willing to sacrifice to uphold those original values. And these are really the things that set the morality for the followers. Then you've got the goal of the religion, which is different from the deity's goal in the sense that like... What are these people following the religion for? Are they getting enlightenment? Are they going to a better place when they die? Are they reincarnating? Have they been given any instruction or direction from their actual deity or god? Or did they make up their own goal? Is it a nefarious goal? Is it a good goal? Is it just to help people? What is going on with that actual religion? Then the path, which is how do they follow their god and their religion? Do they pray do they give acts of service to others do they have huge rituals that they need to follow big freaky sacrifices on pyramids then something really important to give this whole thing purpose is creating some allies and opposition which give the contrast of the story and conflict and all of that good juicy stuff so that's how you make a deity or religion and if you want more details on that Uh, Like Jordan said, you can go back to that previous episode. So what we're going to do in this segment is Jordan and I are both going to make some deeply religious characters based on a god. Before we can do that, before we can build our characters, we need to have some understanding of the god that we're going to build. And their religions. So here, let's start with Umberly. So the character that I wanted to try to make richer, Jordan said, we've made a lot of duds. (laughs) And so I already had this character, but I wanted to kind of reinvent him and make him a little bit more meaty. So I went back to his original god Umberly, which is a god from D&D's Forgotten Realms pantheon. Yeah. Jordan and I rarely <laughs> rarely run things out of the book. So having just flipped through some pages quite some years ago, and coming across Umberly and making a sailor, basically, it was an obvious fit. So, Umberly is in the Forgotten Realms pantheon, uh, kind of just a, a run of the mill uh, elemental goddess. You know, she runs the oceans, basically. <laughs> She's the CEO <laughs> of the oceans. I took this god and I basically made it my own. Uh, we can start with a backstory. In that backstory, I mean, it doesn't really matter for this character, to be honest. <laughs> I don't really give a shit what the backstory is. I want to make a character that's faithful to her. You're okay with that God of the Sea trope to begin with. Again, yeah, tropes yeah. ain't all bad. Yeah. So if you really care, uh, in 1358 DR, during the time of troubles, Umberlee manifested herself in the Sea of Fallen Stars. Who really cares? Um, so that's the <laughs> that's the Forgotten Realm backstory. The next step is to build some traits. This is where it actually matters. Umberly isn't directly given traits. In the books, she's kind of described as very petty and and evil and wants to like smash stuff with waves, and that really just feels boring to me. So this is where we diverge, and this is your Umberly from this point forward, basically. Basically, yeah. And I've noticed that not a lot of books give God's traits. And this is what's really going to define how our religion forms and how our character is maybe at odds with their own God. So in this, since she's the Sea Queen, uh, she's going to be generous, maternal, teacherly, a little bit greedy, and temperamental. And that's building off of those same traits, two good, one neutral, two negative too nasty <laughs> and her goal uh i mean we don't have to put a ton of effort into this i'm gonna make her greedy she's kind of su- about self-gratification and she's one of those gods that doesn't really give a shit what you do okay. she's just running the oceans she's not into mortal affairs so not much. really yeah right. you you do you so the religion that i ended up making is Umberlee's children appropriate if i'm going to give her kind of a maternal bent this religion is pretty neutral yeah it's values strength at the sacrifice of empathy so if you're gonna venture out into the sea better be able to hold your own yeah you don't have time to care about others right now you gotta be on your a game yeah and that feels like a very like burly sailory kind of ideal and when the ship starts going down it's every man for himself So, out the door with empathy. Well, I I just like to protest and say, I'm sure a lot of ships are all about teamwork. (laughs) But, (laughs) sure. Fine, fair (laughs) enough. So, the next value is humility. So, being humble before the oceans at the sacrifice of personal gain. So, it is of utmost respect to the oceans. You don't dare enter them Without giving something, I can see some stories about people that wanted the personal gain over yeah. humility and the sea swallowed them up for sure. There's so many interesting ideas here from people that like overfish and then all of a sudden there's shipwrecks happening within that fleet and it's like, well, that was Umberly kicking the living shit out of you. Yeah, there's a world of confirmation bias to explore <laughs> here, and then finally, of stewardship of those oceans. At the sacrifice of fairness. The ocean isn't always fair. The ocean is extremely temperamental. Umberly is temperamental. Yeah. Sometimes, if you're not good, she'll just bash you on the rocks. And if you're good, then her bounties are yours. <laughs> and good means following these values. Yeah. So, the goal of this religion is to be good children and be reborn in the waves. And essentially, this is just kind of a, a reminder for me that the overall religion is going to believe that if you appeal to Umberly throughout your whole life and you follow the tenets of the religion, and you generally just be a good sailor that when somebody washes ashore after a shipwreck, that's really somebody being reborn. If you die of any kind of causes, maybe you're coming back in a different form so you've probably naturally got some offshoots of this religion that are just like, swallow us up, Umberly. Oh, yeah. We can get weird with this one. Yeah. And then the rest of the stuff really is not... uh So the path of this religion is really nothing breaking new ground. It's all pretty run-of-the-mill, Um, but it's going to help me build my character in more depth. So the faith itself, Umberly is to be appeased. Do not enter her domain without showing... The sea mother, your love of gold or jewels. And this is actually from the Forgotten Realms lore. You should give an offering. Okay. And that's part of paying your devotion. Offerings of coin, jewels, or in this case, in this religion, a little bit of blood doesn't hurt either. Ooh, a little pinprick. Yeah, well, maybe not. This makes the, the religion a little bit bloodthirsty. I think that might be kind of interesting to play around with. Is Dang. You know, if you can't offer your own money, then you better offer something else. Yikes. Like, you do not enter the oceans. You do not sail on her seas without some kind of of giving. Well, a pinprick is all the devotion I'm willing to show. (laughs) (laughs) I get woozy at the sight (laughs) of blood. So I'm also really intrigued by this idea that I can play a character that is like a drunken... Brawler bruiser who is afraid of nothing and no one. But then when it comes to setting sail on the ocean, he becomes a neurotic, afraid mess, huh? Like, is truly terrified of Umberly's powers because maybe he's been through a couple of storms, petrified of what could happen out there if he doesn't do his duties and pay homage. So sometimes when he's on the sea, he goes from like loose cannon to like super rigid almost. Or be cool, yeah. Or the other direction when he feels like somebody has slighted Umberly. Now all of a sudden he's certain that he's gonna die, and now he's like a scared child. Oh yikes! Yeah, that's something he's gotta overcome. Yeah. Then finally, just in little details, we could look at this particular religion being very attuned to signs from the sea, you know, like the the little floating islands of flotsam of just like boards and seaweed and stuff like that. (laughs) Plastic in our world? Just kind of looking at clouds. Okay, yeah, yeah. You're like seeing stuff in the junk, and the sea junk that's just (laughs) floating and you kind of see umberly and that's where you're praying. Yeah, if you're out at sea and you see some of that crap floating by, you're all of a sudden going, <laughs> oh, Umberly, you've shown yourself to me, like, let's have a chat. What's the message? And finally, with allies and opposition with this particular religion, you know, I could see there being, like you said, opposition, just some nut jobs who are wanting to like throw themselves into the sea. Or for opposition, really, uh, the Church of Saloon is a group of sailors that maybe saw the sea as, like we discussed, kind of a bounty for their taking. Like, oh, the sea just keeps giving. And the the Church of Saloon in actual Forgotten Realms lore is a god of the stars that helps sailors navigate by sea. Okay. So they're worshipping a different god that shows them how to get home, helps them navigate the treacherous waters, and is kind of in direct opposition with Umberly, who is down there dragging ship's (laughs) down to take all of their bounty huh yeah that's kind of good so that's that's what i got for the religion and that brings us to actually creating a character based off of it so we can use to do this the exact same character planner that you can find on our website it follows every one of the same beats and if you're a regular listener of the show you might be familiar with this but we're going to show you how it applies to a religious character with a couple of small tweaks Now, all of a sudden, we've got all of the same prompts to build a really awesome uh, religious character. And the beats of our character planner are, as suchly, you've got the backstory again. It includes the beats of of what was their status quo before, what kicked off their adventure, how did they resist their destiny, and what's their call to adventure. And with a religious character, you're just going to think about, is this going to include the god or religion in some way? Like, did the god directly intervene in their lives and that's why they're an adventurer now? Maybe the god's followers intervene or inspire uh, some kind of action. They need to get out of their crummy life that they're living and, yeah, something something pops off. You can make the religion antagonistic towards that character or opposite, like, that's the one that helped them find the path. They've always kind of been a follower, but the kickoff is something that, directly opposes what that god's trying to do and they're like i gotta step up Ooh, that's good then we go into the wants and needs of the character this is one of my favorite role play points so it's the character's deepest want which is something that won't actually help their life and their deepest need which is what they need to learn in order to become the person that they actually want to be yeah so yeah do they want to be selfish do they want to get rich? Do they want to, whatever, become closer to their faith? Ultimately, their want is probably going to put them at odds with their religion when we're making some kind of religious character. Yeah. So if we're building a cleric, this is where we can think about some of the the inner turmoil that's maybe happening in their experience. Yeah. Just like we were kind of talking about with Umberly, maybe my character is eventually going to want To keep some of that gold, but knows that he has to toss it into the sea and like wrestling with being greedy because every single devout person, you know, that's a hallmark of a religion is the challenge of walking the path versus walking the one that you want to walk and trying to see if you can bring those together. It's as simple as going to the values you made for the religion and thinking about how the character doesn't fall in line with those values. That's the struggle. And that's why building the religion beforehand is so important. Because it's hard to know what you're going to diametrically oppose if you don't already have that thought out. And there's still plenty of other options for what you can do with a religious character. Like, do they want a simple life of following the rules? And they're actually really in line with the values. But they actually need to break away from it in order to pursue something else. Ooh, yeah the the big quest like whatever the quest is you know they just want to attend their their church but this quest this greater need for the world is pulling them away calls them to step outside of their values yeah 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 i like that all right next we get into the traits of the character and this is where you can really play with some of the values and the traits of the god and religion that you've come up with when you're doing this try to oppose at least a few of the traits and values that you've set up both in your god and the religion itself. Because this is where all of your character drama is going to come from. Yeah. We already talked about struggling with the values. Do they maybe even celebrate that they share a negative trait with the god and they're okay with being shitty in that regard? Mm, Because it empowers them. It says that it's okay. Yeah. What other traits within the party does maybe this person, this character, oppose? Totally. It gives them a filter through which to see the other party members for sure. There's too many options there to even like start talking about how many different ways you can contrast and be in line with your God and religion, but it's really fun to start from here and create some wild ideas. But the quickest place to go to is again just those God traits and the religious values. Focus on those really hard and Yeah, just create a character, make sure you have at least a couple and you're going to make something that's really, really good, really juicy, and you'll see the drama immediately. And then we come to the NPCs that are close to the character. You've got your ally, which could very simply just be the god. If they're truly closely connected to their deity, then that's their biggest ally in life. Yeah. And they're actually almost communicating with it on a personal level. That's that super devout kind of religious person that does see this world as maybe even a temporary one, but they want to get closer to their God. And that's the only person that matters in their life. But a couple other really fun options would be like another follower of the God or somebody that they're best friends with, but actually doesn't follow the God. So it's kind of that philosophical debate partner. Ah, that could be good. Yeah. Yeah. Build one of those into your party. This is a great way to actually see some camaraderie. And I like where you're going with that because it means that the cleric can be best friends with the warlock and at odds with how they thought that they should not be friends. But wow, this person, despite being a warlock, (laughs) uh, follows all the same tenets that I do. Be Mm. nice to people and do this and do that. But maybe they're struggling in a different way. Like there's a lot of really interesting things to explore there. Yeah, yeah. And then going to the nemesis, you don't even need to stray that far from what we've talked about. You can have uh, a follower of the same God that doesn't see eye to eye and you're actually at odds with them. A competing church. Totally. One of those other religious sects that you just think is kind of bad shit. No, (laughs) your way is not the way. My way is the way. And I think this is the most powerful if it's just an offshoot of the religion that they're following, like it's one thing that they interpreted differently about your religion. And you're just like, they're the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. The creation story that it's like, no, you got this one detail wrong. (laughs) And therefore we are always enemies, which is way too close to home. (laughs) (laughs) And that leads us to the final little bit, which is the details. So throwing in a couple of those details like, how do you ask for their blessing? What phrases do you use? I mean, you kind of need one, I yeah. feel like as a cleric. Bless me, oh. See. Whatever. And when you have it built, you don't just say bless me, oh. <laughs> it's exactly. like a fallback. <laughs> so, what is that interesting phrase that your character utters when they need the blessing of uh their god? And how do they curse their names when things don't go their way? Mm, yeah. Signs of the gods' involvement in the world, is it real involvement or is it just imagined involvement? Yeah. Where do they look for those parallels to say, oh, uh, I've been, I mean, that's clearly a great sign. I've been blessed. This flotsam, <laughs> this <laughs> group of seaweed in the ocean means that I'm, I'm doing just fine today. Yeah. Maybe the deity has quite a bit of control in the usage of your character's power. Ew, yeah, that's a dangerous primus. Yeah, absolutely, but it's fun. No, no, I don't want to cast that right now. <laughs> oh, wow, like they're actually puppeteering. <laughs> I thought like maybe they just couldn't cast a certain spell if they hadn't, uh, you know, said their prayers today. Well, that too, but I like the idea of, of having that one-on-one communication where it's like, no, not, okay, I get that. I, <laughs> I get that we should do this today, but not right now, Shh. Like Quiet. this is the 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 deity as a, <laughs> an imaginary friend, essentially. Yeah, who actually has control, which is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that brings up a good point. Like, how do they communicate? Is it through runes showing up in in sand or dirt? Is it in reading tea leaves? Is it how bloated your feet are today? You <laughs> <laughs> feet are real bloated. Gross. Swelling up righteously. So there's a million different ways that they can communicate. You know, maybe they're playing a game of Scrabble and every day the the board says something different. Like you can get really wild and creative with this kind of stuff. And this is the meaty bits. This is the kind of thing that you describe your player doing just kind of during downtime. Um, You know, everyone's settling down to camp for the night and the DM says, what do you do with your downtime? And, you know, the rogue sharpens their daggers, but then your religious figure, whether they be a warlock or a druid or anybody else that has kind of a higher power, well, they're going to go and commune with their god. And what does that look like? And this is a really, really cool role-playing challenge. And we issued this in our last episode, and I'll issue it again in this one. Can you make another player at the table ask an in-game question an in-character question of your character by describing some interesting things that they're doing from genuine curiosity. And I'd say that, sure, you can plan out a few of these and it really adds to the roleplay, but a lot of this can come from improv based on everything you now know about your religion and your God and your character. It's going to come way easier. easier. Yeah. And then finally, just to get you into character, when game time comes, we like to write a little pitch of the character, which is built right into that character creator. And we'll give you a couple examples coming right up as we start with Travis's character, Oric, that follows Umberly. Okay. So obviously, I'm not great with names. Oric um, the Orc <laughs> is. Or Rick. <laughs> or rick rick or rick <laughs> well this character uh that's actually i i built that into their backstory the their very simple literal <laughs> interpretation of their name so uh orphaned and raised by a caretaker of a shrine of umberley Oric then turned his back on the shrine when he met a rich mentor in a bar and tried to live a highfalutin' life, and be selfish and self-centered. But after a series of bad things happened to him, he clearly says, you know what? I called bullshit on Umberley for most of my life. Uh, I better go back to the sea, live with the old caretaker, and be a degenerate, brawling, drinking sailor, but worship Umberley properly the way he should. Hmm got some conflict going on in his life yeah so his wants and needs he wants to be a captain but he needs to learn to embrace being openly empathetic because again umberly we're taking from umberly's traits and the religious values of strength and serve yourself kind of thing that greedy serve yourself except always give to umberly because of (laughs) course there's a little bit of conflict too and be humble yeah be humble yeah, so he he kind of struggles between wanting to be a captain of his own ship and be rich and awesome, but just, yeah, needs to to learn to take care of the people around him. Maybe lean away from the religion that he follows. Very good. His traits. He's going to be clever, empathetic, tough, obsessive, and mannerless. And I think I'm going to go with those traits, like the empathetic trait especially, as being one of those uh, only in private kind of things. Oh, yeah. So that he's always kind of conflicted with trying to to remain outwardly tough to yeah. everyone else's view, but then, you know, really, truly being a bit of a softy inside. When people get really close to him, that comes out a bit. Yeah. His NPCs, I haven't made a name for him yet, uh, but I'm thinking the old character could be a really good one. Shangly Bob. <laughs> Shangly Bob is now a character. <laughs> and... This is also really important. If you're a player, like you need to give your DMs uh, somebody to throw into your stories. And this is a common mistake of, you know, new players is that they write a backstory with a family, friends, uh, loved ones, and somehow they all die. Yeah. So they're alone in this world. (laughs) You definitely need to make some NPCs that can still be used in stories. So I think the old caretakers uh, of, you know, in... Forgotten Realms lore, this is another one that I actually allowed to stay within my my god lore here, is that the the shrines are generally not very well taken care of. They're often in seaside towns, and they're kind of little like like small shrines. Nobody's building churches to this thing, but this caretaker is going to be somebody who goes and pulls the weeds off and, and just makes sure that the shrine to Umberley stays intact. Oh, okay. So yeah, he, that's who raised him. And he's going to live with this person. And whenever he ventures out on adventures, you know, this person could be a a potential Achilles heel for him. Totally. And then his nemesis is going to be that rich mentor that he met in the bar, that he uh, lured him away to the big city where he became kind of a shitty person and really greedy and and that kind of thing. And then at the first uh, sign of trouble, kind of threw him to the wolves. Yeah, I can see that mentor always luring him into the next thing, but it's always from a selfish perspective. It's always like, Oric can help me, so I'm going to trick him and then I'm going to ditch him. Yeah, exactly. And we all have those friends that are kind of (laughs) like shitty. And you're like, ah, I always regret getting involved with this person again. Yeah. So then we get to some of the details. And this one, I think we can even workshop a little bit on the spot here. But I'm kind of thinking like, uh, before setting out to sea, it's always Wave Mother, grant me passage. Or Wave Mother, that's the honorific and the humbleness that he's trying to show. Because if you know Umberly from Forgotten Realms, she has some not so nice monikers that have been given to her. Oh. And he's showing his respect by always calling her the Wave Mother when things are going well. <laughs> Something a little nicer. Yeah. Huh. And then, of course, you know he can use some of those less than polite names uh, when things aren't going so well. If he's really pissed off with her, uh, he can he can call her a few other things. Dang! Hmm. Which, when he gets over that uh, instant anger, would probably lead to some apologies. Well, considering that's a tenant of the religion, I would imagine that yeah, he's he's going to immediately start to go. I'm <laughs> sorry, Bob. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Especially when things are going downhill in combat yeah (laughs) if i can yeah if i can retract that last thing that i just said forget that (laughs) i think this does provide a lot of opportunity like i said earlier to give some confirmation bias whenever anything happens at sea of course it's umberly and umberly giveth and umberly taketh away yeah you can relate anything that happens to a god's whims a seagull lands when you said something poignant uh, to the rest of the crew, and now all of a sudden that's a sign from Umberly. So there's a million different <laughs> things that I can do here with events related to the sea. yeah. And then, of course, the downtime activity. So uh, I've actually built Oric, uh, oddly enough, not as a fighter. you would think maybe a sailor background fighter, something like that. He's actually a monk. So with that, I really don't need uh I don't need the money for lots of new weapons or anything else like that. He's a brawler. So in that sense, it kind of works mechanically in the game too, that I can just toss money into the sea. And whenever he's feeling really guilty about something that he's done, he can give more money and more money. <laughs> and so I'm really going to enjoy, I would imagine, in the role play of this character, that when we divvy up the spoils of our adventure, and then all of a sudden Orc just goes and dumps it all in the ocean, <laughs> saying, "Listen, we need to get where we're going so uh i'll I'll take the plunge. I think you all should throw your money in too, yeah, and like I'm gonna really enjoy playing out that that bit of role play and if you wanted to do it a little more subtly too, like when everyone's trying to buy something really expensive and they say, "Okay, we all made two hundred gold from that last uh, haul." All right, I'll put in 200, 200 orc. Where's yours? I've got 80. (laughs) He's always going to be short. What? (laughs) What did you spend it on? Because he's literally throwing money into the ocean. Yeah. Uh, So that's kind of where I'm going with this character. The pitch, if we're going to round it all off, a tough as nail drinking, biting orc sailor who had a life of serving drinks and caring for his shrine of Umberley in a small town with his old caretaker friend, but the problem was that he felt like he deserved more, he was a little bit greedy, and he wanted to become captain of his own ship. He befriended a rich duplicitous aristocrat from Waterdeep, moved away, and became a maritime merchant huckster for their family, ripping off honest seaside folk, which he resisted because he didn't know who he was. He was He was conflicted. He wasn't honest, and he was greedy, so he walked away from his beliefs, but ultimately he committed to returning to the care of the shrine, returning to his roots after he was backstabbed by that family, and that's where we'll pick up our adventure. He'll just be a back to a bartender, having that experience that leads to some internal character conflict. All right. Very good. You've got yourself a religious character now that's pretty well-rounded. Yeah, I feel way better about him than I ever have before. Yeah. I mean, I liked him before. He was a fun character to play. And I played him, I think, up to like level five-ish. And so I've had some decent time with his character, but I cannot wait to go back to him with all of these new religious details to really role play up. Because if we're being honest, like fighting drinking orc sailor is so... tired like it's super boring like it's so uh plain and basic
1: you gotta twist it up
0: a little bit yeah like admittedly so and now i i feel really good about this character to to make him deeply and devoutly religious yeah as well as all of those other kind of tropey things and he's got a lot to his personal character that separates him from yeah the typical religious person yeah so uh you I think in fine fashion I don't know much about what you're about to go into my favorite uh, part of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> the insanity so when I we... haven't gotten approval on it yet <laughs> <laughs> and I have not gotten group approval <laughs> so you've created your own and I'm sure it's going to be bizarre to yes. say the least well, so take it away it's not it's not all that crazy the first thing I thought of, just to see if I could build from it, was the goal of the god. Okay. And the goal that started all of this was to put a goat in every home. <laughs> Absolutely. This is exactly <laughs> where I expected you to go. Never mind. So the deity's name is Monchon. <laughs> so for the backstory, I've got the domains of the home, goats, and opportunity. Did you randomly roll these? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. It's all inspired by that gold, baby. And it's a polytheistic religion. Monchon is one of many gods. Okay. So there was a town in the foothills of a great mountain range that struggled with famine and drought year after year. It was always a different problem that they had. So they prayed, hoping that one of the gods would aid them. And after a week of prayer, a portal opened up in the mountainside. Wild. Despite the fact that it was essentially their only resource they had left, they thought that this was some greater power asking for sacrifice. (laughs) Okay. So they sent the goats through the portal. The portal was really the result of magic gone awry from a town on the direct opposite side of the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) So for years, one town sent goats through to the other town, and the receiving town was much smaller. They had to start packing the goats in. And in the process of going through the portal, each goat left a little bit of themselves behind until it formed a powerful new being, now worshipped as a deity. Jesus, this is so bizarre. (laughs) This is all over the place. Makes sense? Yeah, sure. Somehow? Totally. The traits of Monchon are friendly, (laughs) dramatic, hungry, indulgent, and stubborn. So we got the two positive, two negative. Okay. Neutral of hungry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as one is neutrally hungry again that goal put a goat in every home then we move on to the religion which has the values of spontaneity at the sacrifice of tradition so they don't really have strong traditions but they do encourage <laughs> you to do <laughs> let let manchon move through you whenever whenever it strikes yeah okay do the weird shit you're inspired to do <laughs> You've got courage at the sacrifice of the value of comfort. Hmm. Okay, so the I'm expecting some like intrepid explorers to come out of this. I put this one in just to be a little bit more like a standard adventure kind of value. This isn't the most creative one, but it'll always give a reason for them to move on, move sure. forward. And you've got sustainability at the sacrifice of personal ambition. Interesting, okay. You're trying to provide for everyone rather than, you know, doing your own thing for your own gain so the path of this religion will be devotion they'll do whatever they think their deity requires and the way that their deity sends messages to them is that they'll send bipedal two foot tall goat creatures to deliver messages and guidance so the a little goat creature will run up to the followers (laughs) and upon delivery of whatever message they have these little creatures will pass out from exhaustion and evaporate into a fog Evaporating messenger goat children. (laughs) Yeah. So these goats will sprint up to you, say their one or two word message, and just pass out panting and disappear. Oh my goodness. Okay. Followers usually listen to those. (laughs) I would. (laughs) It seems pretty clear what I'm supposed to do. And uh, another path is pretty simple. The followers will often meditate with their goats. The Lord moves in very mysterious but literal ways <laughs> so the followers will often travel with as many goats as is reasonable and give them to anyone that they think needs a goat in their lives i want to know how do you expect to role play some of this stuff out like i cannot wait to explore your character <laughs> and when do followers cross paths sometimes a uh endless cycle of goat trading can it- <laughs> occur for weeks they're just stuck in a stalemate of giving each other goats yeah Good don't times. include that in your games that's terrible as for allies i think many cities and townships would openly welcome followers of this religion as it's essentially a bunch of people coming in and giving out free livestock <laughs> <laughs> and opposition would therefore be farmers and traders, <laughs> local farmers <laughs> who were like, man, I'm running a business and you're some religious weirdo coming into the town, giving everyone goats. Yeah. All right. So then the character that I created for this religion is Dunberton, whose brief backstory is that their family decided to become dragon cultists and he just wasn't into it. So he's trying to make his own way in the world. He goes around the market offering to bag people's purchases with with cultist parents I believe that the indoctrination uh, background was just, like, granted to this child. So there was no chance that Dumberton was not going to end up in some weird religion. (laughs) Fair enough. Just not that one. So one day he was trying to offer bags for a group of goat herders, and one tipped him with a whole goat. I like, again, that we're in a fantasy world where grocery baggers are a necessity. <laughs> well, he's the only one. Oh, he's okay. viewed as a weirdo. <laughs> he's entrepreneurial. <laughs> he's volunteering at the local market yeah. to bag people's stuff. Good times. So th- this was like a huge tip for him. He was pretty excited. And he was on the fence about what this meant until a little goat showed up and and said... <laughs> Whatever adventure hook is needed for the game that he's going to play in. You've just given the DM a gimme. Yeah, exactly. What do you want this little goat to say before it (laughs) passes out? I'm about to follow it with blind faith. (laughs) His wants and needs? Uh, He wants a comfortable life without needing to do too much. But he needs to realize the most inner comfort he can find is doing good for others. Surprisingly normal and moral. Yeah, like I think what I like to do is have really weird characters, but still have a meaningful journey to take. Yeah, like it's not all bad shit. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) 95% is, but the real core, (laughs) that last 5%, there's something there. That's got some juice. Get it. His traits are that he's friendly like his deity, he's protective, he's hungry like his deity. (laughs) He's indulgent and he's selfish, which aren't great. That kind of goes against the religion, too. Yeah. Yeah. So really, when he's friendly and hungry, he feels connected to the god, but he really struggles with lining up with some of those values he mentioned. He doesn't naturally have courage or spontaneity. And I think what can really be a big character moment for him is when he overcomes his selfishness and gives away his single scraggly goat. Very good. His NPCs. Unless I come up with something better, his ally can easily be his goat. And his nemesis, a goat thief, a wily little goat thief. I like it. Some quick details that I think I'll use is that he gets down on the goat's level. And if the goat headbutts him, it's a blessing. (laughs) As they are wont to do. He's really blessed. (laughs) And uh, if he's getting angry at his deity or anybody else, he says, I hope your guts are dry. Ew. Yeah. And he'll feed his goat stuff and watch intently for feedback and take that as signs from the (laughs) deity. How he chews it and how he regurgitates it back up into his mouth for a second go around. Gross. And finally, my weirdest detail. He's a paladin, so he's got lots of armor. Okay. Didn't tell you that yet. But he's got a wide, flat helmet that the goat stands on during his meditations. (laughs) (laughs) If you couldn't tell, Jordan and I were raised with goats. Yeah, that's true. We're very, very familiar with weird goat behavior. They always want to climb whatever's there. It's bizarre. But anyways... The pitch. The final pitch is Dunberton had a simple life selling bags in the market, but really wanted some more purpose. He received a goat from a follower of Manchon, and this inspired him to make a difference in the world. Dunberton nearly kept his safe life, but when he heard about people in need, a goat messenger came and said, whatever, climb ever higher, maybe. He had to go. <laughs> also, he was three months late on his rent. <laughs> <laughs> so he was bailing. He was skipping on rent. <laughs> Time to go on an adventure. Yeah. That's as good a kickoff point as any. (laughs) And I started with the dumbest character, but now I'm feeling this dude and I kind of want to play as him and his goat friend. (laughs) Funny how that happens. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully that helps you flesh out a religious character with something a little bit more to play. Uh, Consider all of those things that will eventually come out and inform the way that you play your characters and on top of that keep in mind that both stages the god and religion creation and the character creation are both based heavily and use the exact same resources that we already have published on our website so you're looking for the culture creator and the character planner and both of those resources together are all that we've used in this episode today and if you want a little bit more inspiration We're going to go to Grandma B's schoolhouse and talk about some people that have come up with real religious offshoots that are simply wonderful. Right on. Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. So the reason I think this is fun to talk about is because religious beliefs can come from many sources and even major religions can have basically infinite offshoots depending on what avenue people want to go down when you're trying to come up with those different opposing secondary religions like there's a million different things like you said that can come from one belief or one conflict within that one religion so the first we're going to talk about comes from a perceived miracle the second from something that the followers truly just loved personally and the third from interpreting a legend or a story in a new way my first tale On December 2nd, 1991, Ombana lost control of his motorcycle and crashed into a tree. Tragically, he died instantly. Ugh, that's my worst fear. But the local police took his bike to the station the next morning, and the whole thing seemed... The local police took his bike to the station the next morning, the whole thing seemed pretty ordinary. Until a night passed. The next day, the police noticed that, hey, the bike's not at the station. Oh, somebody called in and reported that it's actually at the crash site. Weird. They assumed that, you know, somebody took it. Maybe a family member or a friend of Ombana must have ridden it back out for some weird reason. So they took it back, they emptied the gas tank, and they locked it up. Nobody's getting this thing. But the next day, it appeared in the ditch again that it crashed in. What? Legend says this kept happening day after day after day, and locals considered this a miracle and ended up building a temple for this bike. On the crash site. Yeah. It's now said that the spirit of Ombana helps travelers in distress And the bike sits on a shrine where travelers can bow their heads and leave offerings, often like alcohol, incense, coconut, and sweets. That's wild. Yeah. And if you don't make a quick stop on your way through the area, you might be in for some bad luck. Well, you'll have to give me where this is. Uh, As a motorcycle lover myself, I might have to go pay some tribute with some booze. (laughs) Fair enough. I thought you would like the fact that there's a religion that pays tribute to a 350cc Royal Enfield bullet. Okay, that's a cool bike. So what else you got? Well, we've got people that just love stuff so much that they want to religiously follow it. The first that I thought was super fascinating was Iglesia Maradoniana, which isn't a small thing. It's got 120 to 200,000 members. Wow. I'm okay. So I'm assuming this is like Saint somebody, Saint Iglesia. Like what did this person do? Well, their sainthood essentially comes from the fact that the followers believe He was the greatest soccer player to ever live. (laughs) Okay. Soccer player, not saint. Got it. Diego Maradona. And one of the founders of this even went so far as to name his daughters Mara and Dona. (laughs) Oh, man. How many parents have named their kids after their favorite sports athletes? Which not just sports athletes. Sports ball players. (laughs) But that happens all the time in pop culture too. How many Star Wars characters are out there? Fair enough. A lot. Which leads me to the Jedi movement, which has a huge following too. Which is just like absolutely buck wild because we remember when Star Wars came out, like George Lucas wasn't intending on creating (laughs) a church, but now there is legit churches of the Jedi order. Yeah. It's not just a fictional thing. People are actually worshiping the Jedi way. And what is it beyond a shared set of beliefs and cultures, really, when you boil it all down? And sure, the the Jedi way has some all right stuff to it. Yeah. And they make sure that they separate themselves. They're not saying that we follow the fictional way of the Jedi, but we kind of took inspiration from that. And now we got our own thing. Yeah. Because they have like their own 21 tenets that they follow. Absolutely wild. That was only founded in 2005. Kind of an interesting backstory. It came from people writing in Jedi on the national census in 2001 in a lot of English-speaking countries. (laughs) Like in England and Wales alone, there were 390,000 people that wrote Jedi in that year. Jesus. (laughs) Making it the fourth largest religion in England. (laughs) That is wild. (laughs) And yeah, both of these communities have rules to live by. They got events. They got it all. Huh. And finally, a twist on a legend comes from Vanuatu, a country made up of islands in the South Pacific, which is home to a village called Yananen on the island of Tana. Okay. If you're like me, you weren't super familiar with any of these places, nope. But they had a particular legend. Their god sent his son to England to give spiritual guidance to the people there. When his work is finished, he will return And when he does so, he's going to fulfill all of their prophecies, going to bring them great wealth, peace, and eternal life. Okay. Very specific destination of England. But the interesting part of this legend is that he took the form of a man. That man is Prince Philip. Okay. (laughs) Yes, the one that's alive today. I'm going to need you to tie all (laughs) of this together for me, please. Well, it's thought that this belief was formed in the 50s or 60s, when a lot of people were traveling to these islands from Europe. Okay. And it was really given strength when Prince Philip visited the island in 1974. He didn't actually meet with any of the members of the movement. They saw him from a distance and they just like, this solidified their beliefs. He was a prince. He probably had a bit of an entourage. And they were like, oh, this person's important. And also this what fits our legend. Yeah, basically. Interesting. To a T. Now Prince Phil didn't even know about this until three years after his visit, but when he did find out, like any member of royalty, I would assume, uh, he liked being worshipped and sent a photo of himself over. <laughs> Just, and I like that—that's the form that it took. Like, oh, here's a headshot and uh, and my signature. <laughs> but and so of course they were pretty into that. The members of this movement sent him back a traditional pig killing club called a nol nol. <laughs> And Prince Philip, receiving the null null was like, rad. So he snapped another photo of himself holding it, and he sent that back. It was kind of a pen pal situation. This is such a wild story. (laughs) Thanks. Well, I'm done with it for now. We'll see what uh, else comes of it in the future. But the point is, it's really easy for an arm of a religion to make that one connection and run with it. Yeah, like your goats. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we want to hear about your religious characters? What did you end up making? And did this actually start helping the way that you roleplay your religious characters? What ideas sprung from listening to this episode? And you can always reach out to us uh, on any one of our different social media avenues uh, at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Our personal favorite place to chat is on Discord. And if you talk to us there, you've got all kinds of other players and DMs that will weigh in as well. And as always, thank you to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. Thanks Thanks for listening, and And let the spirit bleat within you!